and welcome to today's show, Strategic Insights Radio, brought to you by Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. is a full-service business consulting firm that provides business plan creation and review, marketing plans, marketing implementation, process automation, accounting, payroll processing, CRM design and implementation, and business technology strategy consulting and implementation. The host of today's show is Jennifer Roos with Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. And Jennifer, I'm excited to start off the new year with a great show. You've got a wonderful guest and a very interesting topic. Happy New Year to everybody. And thank you, Mike. It's good to be back from the new year. I hope everybody had a great time over the holiday. Now, this topic is going to be a little bit different than what we normally do, but it's going to, I think, have a really wide interest by a, a lot of different people. We're going to talk a little bit about how divorce can actually, well, entrepreneurship affect divorce and how divorce can actually affect businesses. So I have a great guest today. I hope you guys will welcome her. Um, She's actually a judge and a lawyer. (laughs) And this is Margaret Washford. I would love to have you tell a little bit about your background. All right. Well, thank you. And Jennifer, we really do appreciate you giving us the opportunity to be your first guest for the first of the year. And, And this is a very good topic because Everyone's aware of the uh, imminent changes in the tax laws. And uh, for example, uh, one of the things that I've learned just recently is that uh, alimony may not be deductible to a payor under a new tax bill, and that's going <laughs> to affect divorces greatly. We have a general trial practice. I'm Margaret Gettle. It's Margaret Gettle Washburn, PC, uh, in Lawrenceville. We are dedicated to family, juvenile law, criminal defense, personal injury, and representation of injured workers. But, and, and happily, we were voted best of Gwinnett, of Gwinnett for legal representation for 2016. One of the things that I think helps us get voted best of Gwinnett, though, is that we do devote ourselves to helping people through crisis. And uh, one of the things that, you know, being in family law, that, that's what you find, families in crisis. You know, I know that in the case of, of business, because, I mean, one of the issues these days is a lot of businesses are, are owned now by entrepreneurs. And going into that entrepreneurship, and I know this from a personal standpoint, is that it, it has, it's very taxing. It's taxing on relationships. It can lead to divorce because you're working long hours. You're spending lots of time away from home. You're literally depleting your bank accounts. <laughs> and it's very risky. You are literally putting your entire family's wealth and trust and just security on the line every single day. And you can either be a great success or you can end up in bankruptcy. And it is the biggest, out of all the things, it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, I don't play in casinos very often and I don't do things like play on the stock market, but I'm an entrepreneur. I am one of the biggest risk takers out there. I'm a gambler. (laughs) But everybody knows you're a very (laughs) successful one too. Yeah, but it's still a gamble every day. It's a roller coaster. You can have your best day and your worst in the same day. So... And you just have to get past that. But the reality is entrepreneurship is a huge gamble. And it is. Uh, one of the things that we have found in representing particularly our, our ladies uh, that are going through a divorce is that women can be penny wise, but pound foolish. And just as you said, uh, a woman may uh, just almost decimate her own personal accounts just so that they can get ready to launch their business during a marriage. Mm-hmm. But then when the divorce happens, they will become uh, penny-wise and pound-foolish about hiring lawyers and hiring outside resources to help guide them through that process. Uh, divorce is just not fun. 
And particularly when you're looking at the resources of the, of the wife, uh, the entrepreneur wife, uh, or maybe who's getting a divorce from an entrepreneur husband, you have to be able to have people and resources that can help you value those, those businesses, those assets, bank accounts, uh, professionals that can help you with wealth management and asset protection. And for example, your company mm-hmm. and, and the way that your company is able to help reach out and manage these people through through their their development and getting them out there mm-hmm. and getting the way your company helps get people back out there into the workplace. Well, one of the biggest things I know when a divorce does happen, if, it, if that's the route that you end up taking and you are one or the other or both are entrepreneurs, then you, it becomes very complicated. Even if, if whether you have children or not in the marriage, having a business is sometimes that's worse than having a child because you have to do what's called equitable, equitable distribution. Equitable division of those assets and setting up a marital balance sheet is what we call it now. And, and here's the thing that I have seen. Women, we tend to think we can do it all because we do. I mean, we're the ones that get them up, get the kids up in the morning. We're the ones that get to work. We, we run our own companies. We pick up the dry cleaning. We get home. We pick up the groceries, put up the grocery. I mean, women t- tend to do too much. It's still very much a man's world and a woman's world in those respects. We just take those, those duties on and everybody's happy to let us. So, and the other thing I have found is that a lot of our ladies are often embarrassed. Why couldn't I do it all? Why is this marriage ending up in a divorce? What did I do wrong? A lot of times they want to take a sense of shame. They want to be, you know, they want to take possession of that failure of the marriage as if, as if they were the only ones that contributed, whereas, of course, it's a two-way street. A lot of times we have ladies that are dealing with um, husbands that have uh, drug and alcohol problems, mental health issues. And, uh, and then just as you said, that having your own business, having to divide that up, that can be similar to a divorce and custody battle over the children. We've got several ladies we represent now, lawyers, doctors, dentists, who not only are being attacked on the financial issues, but we have seen some interesting websites lately where husbands are going online. And we even found one website, Husband Dirty Tricks. I mean, it was amazing (laughs) where the husbands have learned how to take a temporary protective order out on the wife to get possession of the house and the children to go ahead and get a leg up in the divorce before the divorce even gets filed. And as you said, we've got one lady that did end up going through a bankruptcy, even though she had been awarded hundreds of thousands of dollars in the divorce because she was having to fight the husband on those types of things. We've got several examples whenever you want to uh, cover that. Well, let's first talk about in, in the case of what could, what could be deemed a marital asset in a business. Well, the, let, me, let me give you an example. We had a, a lady that we represented who was getting a divorce from a, uh, re- a recently retired NFL player, football player. And a portion of the football player's pension and retirement had been acquired during the marriage, but a portion of it had not. Um, there were some assets that the wife had acquired through her funds from, a, from her first marriage. She was building up a, a spa, a skincare spa. Mm-hmm. And she had her own spa suite in a local uh, salon. But she had developed that salon 
through funds that were premarital. The husband was claiming that his retirement plan was premarital and the parties had entered into a prenuptial agreement. First thing I want to tell your listeners, be careful about these prenuptial agreements. They are considered legal in Georgia. They do set out what is subject to being divided in a divorce and what is not, whether or not someone's going to get alimony, whether or not someone will not get alimony. And unfortunately, uh, my experience is that the Georgia courts have taken very hard lines on these prenuptial agreements, uh, even if there has been a misrepresentation of what the husband's assets may have been, mm-hmm. even if there may have been fraud, which is hard to prove. But if, the, if you enter into these prenups, you're probably going to get stuck with it. So what we did in that particular case was try to show that a portion of that retirement account was marital property that the wife was entitled to have that on the marital balance sheet to have it be divided. And we filed a restraining order with the court uh, and asked that the husband be restrained from actually liquidating that retirement account. We found that he was going into their investment accounts, liquidating their joint accounts, liquidating his retirement account. And we were actually able to get the court to give us an order to prevent the, the spoilation or the destruction of those accounts. Assets acquired during the marriage, you would think are marital assets, but you have to look at what was behind that asset. Where did it come from? Was it from premarital funds? Was it from another, from another marriage? Did someone inherit some money and purchase something during the marriage, a house, a rental home? And uh, it's always a good idea to get an accountant, get a forensic accountant, and get an accounting of all the financial transactions and be careful about signing any prenuptial uh, prenups. Well, I know a friend of mine um, went, recently went through a divorce and she owns a marketing company and that she started about five years ago that she started before her marriage to her husband. And during the marriage, she, she put in about $20,000 worth of marital funds into the company. Then she put in a lot of effort. She actually increased revenue dramatically over the course of their marriage. And at the time of the divorce, her husband fought her for the $20,000 marital property that she had put in. And it was deemed that he actually was entitled to that. The funds that she had from the free, that are her separate property, mm-hmm. that that got, that that went into her business. I have uh, gone to several of my sources. Uh, one of my sources is... Um, Sean Cross, she's the managing uh, partner or one of the managing partners at U.S. Uh, Managed Assets over in Duluth on Sugarloaf Parkway. I've also talked with Lori Dyke, who is also a CPA. And then I've talked with William Basket, who does financial forensic sources. And here is what I'm able to tell your listeners. Never commingle an inheritance with joint accounts. Uh, The problem is, is once you inherit some money, if you put it in any kind of joint account, uh, that becomes joint property. It loses its character as separate property, and it will have to be shared. It it is subject to equitable division in that divorce. That's why I was saying, for example, if you own a home or a rental property prior to a marriage, keep that in your own name. Do not put that in the name of your spouse. We've had a case recently where a, a woman was badly injured in a car wreck. She did survive. Uh, she was given several, several hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, about a half a million. Unfortunately, 
the husband talked her into putting it into his name so that he could maintain it for her as she recuperated. He and his uh, new wife are now living um, in, a, in a very lovely home over in North Gwinnett. Uh, she is not doing as well. So if you get a inheritance or if you are awarded some type of compensation in an injury case, keep that money separate. If you own a home or rental property prior to the marriage, don't put your spouse's name on the title. It converts it from separate property to marital property. If you own or if you buy a business when you get married, uh, and this is, this is what has to be stressed when you go mm-hmm. to court. And it was funny because when I was talking to Sean Cross, she said well, her first advice was, get a good lawyer. <laughs> get a good lawyer. Because here's what happens. You need and get a good forensic accountant such as Mr. Basket or Lori Dyke. Um, and he, here's what happens with this. Look to see what the increase in value of the business is from the date of the marriage to the date of the divorce, not the entire value of the business. Trace it and see what did you put into it? What was the value of that portion of premarital that went into the business? And then what is the remaining portion of what actually um, became the increase in the value of the company? That's the only part that is subject to being divided with the spouse, not the entire value of the business. But now, If you take your funds and you start a business, again, Mm -hmm. try to keep it separate. But if you start a business during the marriage and you're using marital funds to start that business, then, of course, the entire value of that business is subject to being divided. Well, how about one even more complicated than that? How if you start your business with your spouse? Well, that is it depends on what it is. I've looked that up. For example, what if it's a professional services Mm -hmm. business? For example, two doctors. Uh, who who get married, they not only have a marriage, they have children, but they also have a medical practice together. Mm-hmm. One doctor goes on to manage bringing in more and more uh, local, locally owned uh, emergency room type places, doc in the box type places, uh, emergency care, that sort of thing. The other doctor, the wife, ends up really more at home. And even though she's college educated, she's got her medical degree uh, she runs the home, right? She runs the children while dad doctor is out running the company. It is subject to being divided. Even though mom was at home, the overall value of that company, dad still has to share with mom because mom was running the house so that he could acquire the businesses. Fair enough. I mean, in my case, we actually ran the business together. So not one was at home or, or vice versa. It was literally running it together. Well, we had one of those. I don't think that she'll mind that. I'm not going to say any names, of course, but it was a floral company. And uh, wife was very successful. Eye for design. Husband was successful in running the business, mm-hmm. running it, the, the computer management, dealing with the accountants, dealing with the business transactions. The wife made the trips to China, uh, other locations to pick up the product uh, that was distributed and went into the designs that they marketed to various Uh, locations like, you know, Target or Hobby Lobby, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the divorce, the husband said, well, I did all of the work. There wouldn't be a company if it weren't for me. Uh, We hired a forensic accountant and we hired an expert witness who is in Lawrenceville. His name's David Still, and he valued the company. Mm -hmm. He valued the company and he valued the contribution. He found that it was equal, Uh, but that the wife, because she had the eye for the design and frankly, was healthier now just you know healthier physically healthier uh that she could actually continue to run this company 
if a company can be purchased by someone, it, it is an ongoing business. It does maintain a value. Whereas a lot of times personal services such as yours, if you go out of business, you just go out of business. But your company is something that can be sold. So yeah. is hers. She ended up buying him out, but keeping him employed there. <laughs> so he was bought out, but paid a salary. How did that work? <laughs> well, they're still in business, wow. so it must be working pretty well. But you have got to be able to get along to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, when my ex-husband and I worked together, we worked well together. I would not say that I would ever work with him again. <laughs> so. If the fun thing is when, such as the two doctors, is when they do stay together and they run the business together, is when one of them remarries, mm -hmm. not so much fun. Probably not. Not so much fun. Exactly. We had one recently we represented just a beautiful lady, law, uh, 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 had a uh, degree uh, and a, and a postgraduate degree. Husband uh, worked at a very well-known law firm mm -hmm. and um, husband met a paralegal at another law firm. It, it, the, the interesting thing for us in that case was we had to value the husband's shares of that particular law firm mm -hmm. versus the, the wife's shares that she would have acquired had he stayed with her and had they continued to have that asset of his portion of the law firm. But because he chose to end the marriage at the end of a certain year, it created all kinds of problems with regard to taxes and division of property and how do you value the wife's contribution and how do you value the husband's business? And Again, you have to hire expert witnesses. And the reality too, I mean, it, taxes can become very complicated as well during the divorce process, especially in entrepreneurship. So with figuring out not just the value and the income statements and what actually is the value, what is actual property versus what is um, service, that's been provided, what's worth on, on time and money and actual real property. You also have the issue of now how do I split the tax situation up? And, and here's what really happened with that, Jennifer. And this was one of the first times, and I'm looking at Alex, my paralegal, this is one of the first times we'd seen this, but there was a very clever manipulation by the husband to stop paying taxes during the marriage. Now, let me, let me say this. I how did he do that? <laughs> Thank you. So, but what happened is because the taxes, the taxes were not paid for several years prior to him announcing that he wanted a divorce, then there was tax debt. Yeah. And this is not the first time we've seen this, but it, it, this is the first time we've seen it in that amount where it does create debt. And I'm telling you again, we, we've looked online, you know, hus husband dirty tricks, or maybe even the wife dirty tricks, but not paying taxes for several years will cause the creation of debt. Yeah. And just as assets will get divided in a divorce, debt does too. will get divided in a divorce. So the thing to do is look out, get a CPA. If you're aware that your taxes aren't getting filed, get your head out of the sand and try to figure out what's getting on, going on because as I'm sure most CPAs will tell you, if you have filed joint returns, you mm -hmm. can be held uh, jointly and You're separately liable. liable. One of the good comments that I've got coming out of all of this is that um, all of the scenarios that just sound awful, all these folks are pretty good parents and have been very dedicated to taking care of their children. So that's been good. 
Um, I've got some pretty good hints, though, Jennifer. If you already have an investment program mm-hmm. that you're coming into the marriage with an investment program, quit making contributions to that program once you realize there's going to be a divorce. Just stop. And also, maybe when you get married, stop making contributions to that particular program and open up some new investment portfolio um, because that way, what you had coming into the marriage remains separate property and it remains yours. And then you don't have to start tracing and dividing what was your premarital uh, asset and then what was contributed to it during the marriage. If you Mm -hmm. just close that particular account, then it maintains its separate property. and quick question in regards to when you're starting a business, say you're starting it with your spouse, right? Um, one of the things that you and every one of you entrepreneurs out there, make sure you do put an operating agreement in place. Yes. With that operating agreement, how does that stand? Because I know in my operating agreement, one of the things we did do is put a succession plan in and also in case of divorce, in case of of other issues, um, in case of death or divorce or, or illness of some kind what would happen next? How would the division of the company be set? How does that stand in court? It does. Uh, The case that we were referring to earlier um, with regard to the floral company, that is exactly what they did. They created an employment agreement and they relied on the employment agreement uh, during the divorce and for the uh, division of the asset, but also with the help of the, um, the broker. We treated it as not only just a divorce, but a dividing up the company. So we hired a broker who engineered the sale between the wife and the husband, the wife buying the husband back out. And they did employ a new, they did use a new employment agreement so that they would be able to avoid any problems going forward. But yes, employment agreements are very important, even between the spouses. You set that up. What's going to happen? It's almost like a prenuptial agreement. Yeah, I, I just didn't know what the weight of it was. But I mean, I know that and I tell every single one of my clients out there that you need to put an operating agreement in place. It's, it's, I think it's effective. And that's why I was warning your listeners earlier. If you enter into one of these prenuptial agreements, most likely it's going to get enforced. And what the court does, and I am looking here at my notes, what the court does is look at what was the intent of the parties. Mm -hmm. And if your intent was to divide that company or if the intent was the wife who maybe came up with the idea would maintain the property, maintain that asset, the courts are going to look very hard at these prenup agreements or these employment agreements and and to enforce the intent of the parties. It's funny to think because no one ever goes into a marriage saying, I'm going to get divorced. I know. <laughs> That's not I have, the intention. <laughs> I have people ask me all the time, do I need a prenup? I said, well, are you getting a divorce? Why are you getting married if you're going to get a divorce? But in, in these days and in times, uh, divorce is certainly out there. It's not, it's not an unusual event. Unfortunately, it's a very common event. And it's a good thing to protect yourself and have, if you're going to have a prenuptial agreement, have it reviewed uh, make sure that there's a bit of full disclosure of everything, mm-hmm. of every asset. If you're going to have an employment contract with your spouse, it does need to be an arm's length agreement as if you're doing a business deal because that is, it is what you're doing. Deal. It is well, a business I mean, deal. You can't. So if you are starting a business with a spouse, even with a best friend, well, yes. not just a spouse, if it's just a good friend of yours or somebody that you've done business with in the past, it is a business deal. 
And yes. it has to be looked upon as a business deal. It doesn't matter if you if they're your brother, mother, father, husband, wife, best friend from life. It doesn't matter. That's correct. This is business. And when you can, you get someone. Again, I would recommend an accountant, a CPA. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, would, we do small corporate type of work. We, we can draw up agreements. But sit down and look at what your intent is and look at, what are your expectations? And, but at the same time, what is the other person's expectations? It's not a one-way street. And the other thing that I recommend, and this is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I recommend each party gets separate attorneys. And exactly <laughs> what is written in the prenup Bible over here that I've been looking at. Get, get your own attorney. I was looking at... Because the attorneys sign on to one person, one party, and they're looking for the best interest of that party. So even though you are, if, if it's a company, for instance, the company is being represented, it's only one person within that organization that is being represented. It is not both parties that are in that operating agreement being equally represented by that one legal firm. It's interesting you bring that up. I was looking at some notes from Lori Dyke and Marty Barron, who are at IG Forensics, and that is one of the things they said exactly. Review your tax consequences. And consider new advisors. Do you really want the same P- CPA or investment advisor who's been helping your spouse? Do you really want that same person? If you're going to go out and hire someone to help you market your company, aren't you going to go get your own marketing firm to do that? Mm-hmm. And so what you have to take away from this is understand that, you know, put operating agreements in place. Yes. I do not care who your partner is. Yes. Because it, especially in entrepreneurship, Right. When you start a business, it might be with your husband, but at the end of the day, whoever you go into business with is like being put into a marriage. You literally are going to spend more time with that person than you might your own family. And in, in the case of it being your husband or wife, you end up spending a great deal of time with each other and the heart. So in that in itself has its own issues, right? So one of the things when you work at a normal business, you you leave apart or you work at home and someone's at home, someone's in business, you're separated from each other for a period of time. You get to walk away from it. You have your own space, your own time, your own group of people you deal with, your own things and interests that you can, you can do on your own, your space. But, and, and you get to leave that at the office and come back home and you can do things together. Right. And but that, if you're working together, then you never leave it. So remember that you are with each other 24-7. <laughs> That's correct. You are always dealing with something and the separation between work and family becomes extraordinarily blurred. It does. So things that are bothering you at work will not translate well into I just blowing up at my spouse when I got home for a couple of minutes and then it's over and we're done and, and it's done. This could drag on and become something serious in your, your relationship at home. Well, let me address that. Don't work with someone and live with someone 24-7 and have blinders on, though. Mm -hmm. Everybody says women have certain intuition. We do. Mm -hmm. And so when you do have a certain feeling, a certain gut feeling, check bank accounts, check investment accounts, check banking records, bank statements, credit card statements, look for large cash withdrawals, cashier checks, cash transfers to unknown locations. Don't stick your head in the sand and just assume that the person that you're living with and working and with whom you're working 
you know, if you get a feeling that something's going on, something probably is. And it never hurts to just take a step back and look at all the bank accounts, look at the bank records, and look at the cash transactions. And if you're in partnership in your business, and I don't, as I said, I don't care if it's your marriage or your best friend or your family member, one party should never be the sole representation of your money within that company. Correct. Both parties, whoever the, the full ownership should have full disclosure of those accounts. They have to, if you don't understand finance and how to run your business, how to keep the budget and how to understand what your assets are, what your income, what your revenue, how you're making money and what it's costing you to run this business, then you really need to take a hard look at it. Ask other people to help you understand it. Bring in CPAs, bring in people who, and other advisors who can actually help you determine these things, but do not ever run a business without understanding those things and being visible to what's going on in your own company. Because the reality is you will crash and burn. That is a, a sheer way of destroying any assets that you have personally and professionally if you and, don't understand how you run your business. And that is true. We had, like I said, we've got the case right now where this poor lady is actually we found that the ex-husband had already started liquidating accounts that had been awarded by the court. Their business accounts had already been divided, awarded by the court, partially to the wife, partially to the husband. He was liquidating all of it. Get your head out of the sand. Get your own CPA. Get your own marketing firm. Keep your business together. Try to keep your life together, but trust your instincts. And the other thing is that uh, we've had to tell a lot of folks and get a job or don't be afraid to go start a company. Mm -hmm. And even if you went through a tough time in a divorce or you had to give up part of uh, a business, in the, don't be afraid to go out and start something else. Don't sign any covenants not to compete so that if you and the husband split up, the husband's How awarded that company, then be able to go out and start your own. How does that work? Because I know in, in some states they're not enforceable, uh, non-competes. It is enforceable in Georgia. It is in Georgia. And we actually represented a husband not too long ago where he had an ongoing financial company. The wife had been carefully taking money out of the business account and went out and started a competing business, then came to court and asked for alimony. That didn't go well for the wife. <laughs> no, no. That no, it didn't go well. No. Yeah, I, I just know that in some places it's, it's harder to enforce those. And for non-competes. Well, even though they didn't have a, a non-compete agreement in that case, the court treated it as if there were one and said, I find that this is just a tantamount to a covenant not to compete. You knew that you were divorcing the husband. You knew you were removing uh, finance, uh, actual cash withdrawals, large cash withdrawals, which we were able to find, by the way. We had a private investigator who was able to pull video from a certain bank and we could see when she was going to the ATM and removing the money. Oh, wow. It was, it was really like a TV show. <laughs> I bet it was. I, I mean, that in itself is kind of crazy too, though. But you, you have to give her that entrepreneurial spirit, you know? Oh, though, definitely. Okay. A couple other spirits in that one. Well, there you go. But, I mean, especially taking money from the current business to start a competing business. Now, that in itself is just kind of teeters on fraud almost. The, the court was not sympathetic. Most people wouldn't be right. for that. But one of the things I've, I've looked here at some advice from um, U.S. Asset Management is know your credit score. Mm -hmm. If you do want to go out and start your own company, know what your credit score is. Oh, and get a financial about, planner. Talking about credit, though. Keep in mind that if, he, if you are going through divorce and it happens to be someone who, 
during the process of the divorce, um, one of the things that may or may not happen, in the, in my case, it did happen, you could, we couldn't separate our credit cards from each other. And so in turn, he maxed out everything Correct. and tanked my credit. Right. So there is that possibility that'll happen. At, now, with that said, when the divorce is finalized and separation of assets occurs, in our case, we made an agreement, but with doing so, it doesn't mean that the credit card company exactly or so, the IRS or the IRS they don't care they don't really care. Yeah. Uh, with that said, because of the way we did do the agreement and the way the court processed our our paperwork, uh, I was able to now once it was finalized send my divorce information out to the credit bureaus and get things cleaned up. But it takes it, at earliest it takes three to six months to get anything cleaned off of those. Well, so it, it's if, going to take quite a bit of time, particularly. Not only if you run credit cards together, but you were running a business, business together. together. So you had your personal credit cards, but then you had the corporate credit cards. Yep. And if you sign those as joint and several, joint and severally liable, then despite your settlement agreement, uh, the creditor is still going to look to you or whoever they can find to satisfy that debt, particularly the IRS. You sign a joint income tax return, unless you can get out under innocent spouse rule, you're going to be responsible for those taxes. Yep. So it, it becomes a lot more convoluted it when does. you're talking about those kind of things too. Because remember, as an entrepreneur, especially when you're first starting out, the problem at, with credit is that your business can't stand on its own. Correct. So for the first four years of the business, you're actually using your personal credit. Or your personal accounts. accounts. All, of your, all of your own money is going into that which is one of the things we've dealt with where someone invested their inheritance into a company business. And unfortunately, once that got merged, it, uh, lost, its, uh, it lost its character as separate property and it became joint property. Uh, but now it doesn't have to be 50-50. In that case, the court can look at what was the contribution of mm -hmm. each partner in that business. But again, it goes into that having to trace back where did this check come from? Where did that check come from? Who made what deposit? Who made what contribution in order to, to balance out who gets what amount of the sale of the eventual sale of that business? The, the interesting thing about one of the cases we had is, is not only did the husband and wife have to split up their company, but then they also had joint custody of the children. The husband was ordered to pay child support and to divide certain investment accounts. Uh, he is very far behind on the child support, liquidated the investment account, and the ex-wife has ended up filing for bankruptcy because she can't pay the accounts that she was ordered to pay because he hasn't been paying her. Yes. Yeah. So you really want those operating agreements. Yeah, they become an important part of your business. And as I said, it doesn't matter if it's a marriage or if it's a friend or it's just a partner that you bring in for investment purposes. Make sure that you bring on your own group of people to look over it. It is a legal and binding agreement. It is going to define how you are going to move forward. And it's not just to move forward in a divorce. It can be an accident that happens. It can be a death. Mm -hmm. It can be, it's a part of your succession plan for your business. And you can't think about it as I'm walking in here thinking that it's going to be a problem. You're just walking in here because, and you're thinking what happens if the, a problem occurs, all right? Make sure you're just covered. It's like insurance. You, you get it, you pay for it, and you, not because you think you're going to break your leg or think you're going to get sick. It's because in case you do, 
And that you don't is, want to pay the extra amount that's going to happen at the end. <laughs> and that is a painful topic right there because with the changes in insurance, yeah. you know, your company has certain uh, abilities to get policies that may not be available to an individual po- uh, policyholder, but an insurance company may, may make policies available to a group that are not available to just an individual. So then not only are you looking at getting a divorce and dividing up a business, then you're looking at the aspects of your taxes, your bank accounts, your business accounts, and your insurance. Oh, yeah. It's fun stuff. It is. It's always a good stuff. Now, does your company, how do, how do you approach when someone comes to you about marketing their new company? Depends do you, on. Do you tell them about these pitfalls? Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the things that we talk about for our business is we discuss all the, the potential risks that occur. So we actually, I have a list of people that we work with, different vendors that I know throughout. And asset management is one of them that mm-hmm. we actually do refer people out to. We refer people out to business insurance people, to specific personal insurance people, a group, a small group and big group. We have specific groups group holders that we'll, we'll send to. And depends on what state. That, so remember that I have clients in 49 states and 41 countries. I don't send vendors out um, for the international clients. Uh, I give them lists of, of the main ones in their area, but that's all I can give them. But as far as the ones across the national level, I have different vendors in different states and even some that work here that can work multiple states. So, and even countries. Um, I have one insurance broker who actually has my clients in Puerto Rico, Brazil, as well as out here. <laughs> and so you keep a list of vendors. I keep a list of vendors that I've used, that I trust, that have worked well with my clients, that I can actually give to my clients and say, look, okay, here are the things that, and, and it's almost like a checklist, right? When a, a client, and we'll talk about business client, for instance, right? For a business client, they come in and they want to start a business. The first thing that we talk about is, Let's get some legal representation for an operating agreement. Second, we talk about what insurance is, um, errors and omissions, business liability, cybercrime, <laughs> and depending on the business, uh, loss prevention. We talk about human resources. We talk about the fact that, and that's all on the insurance side, just to make sure you're covered on everything right down to any kind of harassment and employment law issues, illegal representation, not just the fraud stuff and the big stuff, but the little stuff can really cause you major issues. So someone thinks that they were wrongly let go, they can come back and sue you. Right. And if your insurance doesn't cover that, you will have to fit the bill. One of the things that I think has been good about being in the Gwinnett Chamber, and one of the things you and I have discussed is, is being able to have that vendor list. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am right down to even when we have uh, ladies that have gotten a divorce, they're not entrepreneurs. They've been out of the workplace. They have to learn how to, uh, just to develop credit. Yep. They have to learn how to get a job. One of the things that Sean Cross has said at U.S. Management is uh, get a job. And she said, even if you haven't worked or you haven't worked in a very long time, you have not gone stupid. You have not gone blind and you have skills. You know, get a job and every dollar that you earn is a dollar you don't have to pull out from savings. And one of the things that we have had to educate several of our clients on is even how to buy a car. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've even had to come up with vendors that I can call and say, I have Miss Smith. She just went through a divorce. Uh, the car has got 90,000 miles on it and it has broken down on the side of the road. She's got three children. Help. And to be able to get these people back into the workforce, get them a credit score, get them where they have a, 
a, you know, financial means and a ways to even just buy a car. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that comes from learning how to get back out there, Jennifer. And uh, I mean, one of the things that, that we've been advised is to tell people, talk about that divorce. Talk about it so that you can move past it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes with, uh, so in business, it's a little bit more complicated sometimes, especially if you were both the management team, because your business gets branded a certain way, right? Somebody has to take the lead at some point. And the issues then become on a marketing standpoint, how do you re-represent your company once the divorce is over, depending on whoever, whether it's the man or the woman gets it? Because there is going to be a hard separation and you have to go out to every single client and let them know what has happened. You have to notify your clients. That's correct. And it's it's not a comfortable thing to do. No. Uh, To turn around and say, uh, hey, you know know how it's uncomfortable when you send out that blanket email that says this person left from your company? Well, how about, hey, this person left from my company and hey, we have the same last name. (laughs) Sort of like that TV show Flip and Flop, right? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So it, be aware that in that case, you do have to notify your com- clients. In my case, when I notified my clients about what had happened and the separation of what we did, I actually gave them the opportunity to stay on if they chose to. So I said, you know, this did occur. You've worked with both of us. I, I'm not forcing you to stay on to our organization if you were more comfortable working with my ex-husband, but it we would be happy to serve you and we would be proud to continue working with you. Uh, please let us know if you'd like to continue. It, it's uncomfortable when you have to go to your to your clients because, again, this goes back to some of the remarks that Sherry Watts, our paralegal, made earlier, the notes that I was looking at earlier, is that particularly for women, we don't want to admit a failure of any type anyway. We really don't. And how many let clients know, well, uh, not only is this person no longer working here, uh, we're, we're no longer even married. We're getting, <laughs> it sounds unstable. And no one wants to present a, a business as unstable. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things, as I said, that they were very creative in that one particular divorce where the wife extended an invitation back to the husband, look, I will buy out your portion of it, but I will pay you a salary. You remain on. The clients were none the wiser. The company continues to operate. Now, contrast that with a company that I had, uh, the parties got or were going through a divorce. And um, unfortunately, they were both very high-powered property management consultants. Mm-hmm. Uh, apartment, apartment complexes, corporate management, businesses, parking lots, um, all kinds of different types of properties, corp- corporate properties and uh, retail properties that this, this couple was managing. And that was an uncomfortable split because they were both management. They were both type A personalities. They both wanted the company. They both wanted the kids. It it was a a long and hard fought situation. There had not been an operating agreement in that case. See, And there was no covenant not to compete in that case. See, that's not good. See, at least when we put ours together, we put that operating agreement in place right off the bat. We actually had a non-compete put into place right off the bat. But one of the interesting parts for us is that we are both type A's. Right. So it did make it a very uncomfortable situation. And there was no way of extending either one of us a chance to work with the other going forward. Well, now, was there um, in that in that agreement, was there anything that specified time or location, mileage, place and time as far as where the husband could relocate or could he 
have a different business, but certain miles, number of miles away from your company or had to have a different name or anything of that nature. Because when you have two people getting divorced, most of the time they have the same last name. We do have the same last name. And um, I kept my last name because that was a part of the brand of my company. Exactly. And that we specified that that part didn't matter to either one of us, actually. Mm -hmm. But again, that is an important thing that you have to look at when you're when you're doing this. We made an agreement beforehand that the use of the name is not a problem either way. Okay. That that is part of the brand. But what we did do is specify it in our divorce decree that I was keeping it mm-hmm. for branding purposes. Keeping of my business. that name. Keeping right. that name for the for because that is how my, my business is branded. Because most of these covenants not to compete, I do know that the the courts are going to look is is it reasonable in space and time? Mm-hmm. And in our case, because my company is a national, well, an international business, the space and time is he can't be anywhere. <laughs> so, so the reality is it's a true non-compete. He can't actually compete in any of the, the levels of, of what my business does. And he doesn't. He has a, a completely separate business that's outside of the realm of what we do. We, we, there is only a slight little bit of crossover in regards to the fact that we do services industry that he works in, but we don't do anything for his industry that we wouldn't do for any other industry. And the one thing that comes to mind, uh, an interesting case that we had is where the wife was a highly successful real estate agent in her own right, but guess who the broker was that held the license? Uh, the husband. <laughs> exactly. And that, that was a bit of a, of a struggle, but they were able to get that one resolved. But still, I mean, same last name, same location, and Gwinnett County is huge. Yeah. And um, there's, there was really no way to limit, for him to limit her into her continuing with her business. And she was just able to go to a different broker. Yeah. In this case, it's, it's not the same. But he asked for alimony in that case. Oh, that's nice. Because she was, she was <laughs> and is highly successful and he wanted alimony. Yeah. In our case, there was no alimony going on, but it, yeah, it, it makes it interesting. But what you can take away from this is be cognizant of what your company makes and how it's run. Both yes. parties, not just one person. And don't, and, and I know all of us get in this rut, right? It doesn't matter again if it's your husband, wife, girlfriend, best friend, mother, father, sister, brother, cousin. It doesn't matter. And we all end up being so busy because as an entrepreneur, you are, you're the janitor and the CEO. You're running around with your you know, trying Literally. to get that business done, trying to bring in the money, trying to make sure that this is happening and that is happening and that event you're attending and those people you're making the meeting for and trying to get the work done in the middle somewhere. And you do get lost in that. And you, you do. Because what you were referring to earlier, Jennifer, about if you're with that person 24-7, you, you, you have family here, but business here, and you're right. It, it, it blurs mm-hmm. and you can get so busy that you may not see something that is happening right in front of you because you're so busy taking care of everybody else. Exactly. And in doing that, you also can totally do a separation of responsibility, which can hurt your business too. Because as I said, one of the things that should be full disclosure across everybody is the finances of that business. And a lot of times what happens is, okay, that person's just better at accounting, so why don't they just take care of it? That's not the way you run a business. You can't run a business that way. You have to be... You, even if you're not doing the day-to-day part of it, you have to oversee it. You have to look at the books every every week, a couple weeks, every month. You have to look at where your business is going and be cognizant of every account and every dollar that comes in and out of your company. 
And everybody on that management team should have that visibility. And every dollar that comes in and out of your account. Correct. Because again, this is what we were advised by several people is don't stick your head in the sand. Look to see what's going on. Look to see, are there large cash withdrawals? Are there unexplained checks? Are there mm-hmm. unexplained deposits? Did you get a bank statement delivered to your home or to your business for a bank that you've never heard of? Like, yep. what, what is this? Don't stick your head in the sand. Some good advice here is, um, from what you just said, of course, is create a budget. Create a budget for your home mm-hmm. and create a budget for your company. And if it's your husband at home, fine. And if the husband is your partner at the company, fine. But create two different budgets. A smart financial planner is somebody you want to talk to. Understand your entire financial picture. Look to see what assets are available and look to see what's being incorporated out of your personal accounts going into this business account. Mm -hmm. And maybe in your employment agreement where you said, if there's going to be a dissolution of the company, set out how do these funds get repaid to the partner that that donated or, or was the cash seed money for that uh, company that maybe you should, you if you were first in, shouldn't you be first out if the company is dissolved? And with that said too, because a lot of times, in, in, even in my case, we didn't dissolve the company. The company is still there. You're still running But it. I'm running it. But if the company dissolves, you would have wanted to get your personal right. money back, back out, out of it. it. One of the good pieces of advice, I think, here from Sean Cross, don't unnecessarily pull money from a retirement account uh, to keep that business floating or to pay those debts because you're going to incur taxes and penalties mm-hmm. as a result. And then how are you reimbursed for that? If it goes on a joint tax return because you're married and maybe you have an S-corp and you're filing you know, your, your income tax return with your K-1, somebody got hit for those taxes mm-hmm. if that money got pulled out of a separate account. How do you get that back? A lot of things to plan for. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things to plan for. And also remember that it also depends on what kind of company are you. Are you a limited liability corporation? Are you right. an S corporate? Right. How are you determined? And if you're a C corp, there's a whole other story to that. So understand what the legal ramifications of the setup of your organization are going to be on the, in not just the short term, but the long term, how it's going to affect you um, from a standpoint of how your partners are brought in. Can you even bring in partners based on what type of a company are you? Are, do you have shares? What is there a valuation that goes to right. those shares? And that should be in your operating agreement. Correct. Are there shares? What are the amounts? Uh, uh, are you a minority shareholder? Are you the majority right. shareholder? And uh, do you have bonuses? Are bonuses mm-hmm. paid out? Or are they corporate? Uh, or are they uh, a corporate draw paid to a partner? Who's going to pay the taxes on that? And and I think what you said earlier in the show about have your own CPA, have your own financial advisor. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you don't trust each other, but at the same time, it will save you a lot of money and a lot of trauma and drama <laughs> down the road if things don't work out. Exactly. And even if they do work out, you you have to understand it. And no one understands everything. That, especially, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I can read financials. I, I create financial models. Don't get me wrong. But I am not a CPA. The tax code is about to change. And I have no idea how that's going to affect me right now. Well, exactly. And I need somebody who spends their entire day learning about that tax code to go over it with me because I am not an expert in that field. I will, I will hire an expert. I will even bring them on staff because to support me on these things for my clients and even for me. But 
You cannot be an expert in everything. And there are people who spend their entire day learning about that one particular thing. Exactly. And and the CPA that I spoke with recently was just shocked at how the change in the tax code are going to impact on married versus single people Mm -hmm. and single people that run run their own companies that are uh, consulting firms, such as what you do, such as being an attorney, a dentist, a doctor, that we're going to get treated differently uh, unfortunately. Yes, so I know he suggested, look at the wording in, in the settlement agreement. If you're going through a divorce, how will the wording in your settlement agreement impact on how you file? Are you going to be filing as single head of household? Uh, a lot of people will stay married to, to through that last bit of December so that they can file jointly. Uh, but again, make that wording very tight as to who is going to pay what, who's going to be responsible for what on your business returns as well as your personal returns if you're going through a divorce and you're dividing up a company. Alimony, this is frightening, no longer deductible to the payor under the new tax bill. So will a spouse try to pay the other spouse less in alimony because it's not going to give him or her that tax benefit anymore. One of the things you may look at if you're dividing a company in a divorce then is if one partner is going to have that ability to earn more income than you are, Mm -hmm. if, if the husband for example, then the wife might want to look at getting maybe 60% of the assets or 65%. But George is not a 50-50 state. We are an equitable division state. It's what the court thinks is fair Fair. when you divide it up. So you may want to look and say, well, wait a minute, maybe I better do a 60-40 split, not a 50-50 because I'm not going to be getting the alimony I thought I was going to get because the husband isn't going to get to deduct it anymore. So there's no incentive. I I think we're We're going to have some good things come out of that tax reform bill and some things that aren't going to help with regard to divorces. Uh, One of the other things you have to look at, Jennifer, is did you change your last will and testament? Mm -hmm. Did you change your beneficiaries on your life insurance? Did you change your beneficiary designation on your retirement benefits? Did you cancel those joint credit cards? Did you like the very first change your address? Yes. And the very first (laughs) scenario I gave you. Did you put the court or the bank on notice with that court order? Wait a minute. We don't need people in and out of there uh, withdrawing, withdrawing these funds. There is a restraining order or there is an agreement. We had to do that just recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the ex-husband uh, threatened bodily harm and the judge said, well, well, we'll continue this case. I like some things that Dr. Tanya Lowe said also. Get control of your thinking. If you do go through a divorce and you do have to go through dividing up your company as well, or you may have to buy out the husband Mm -hmm. from a very successful company that you've created, okay, make it into something positive. She said, don't stay negative. There's too many people out there that want to stay in a negative space. Come out of it. And, And this is what she said that I thought really was interesting. A lot of us say, well, I'm just set in my ways. But she said, you know what, ladies, you have the right to change your mind if you want to. You don't have to be set in your ways. I thought, what a brilliant little piece of advice. We, yeah. we can change our minds. I've, well, I've never been set in my ways. I kind of go with the flow on that one. But um, for me, I think that one of the things that people are always saying is, I want to get revenge. Exactly. That's the worst thing ever. And she right? said, you've got to get out of that. There, that it's absolutely terrible. You can't grow from revenge. You can't. And and one of the things somebody once told me, and I, I don't totally agree with this statement because I don't really believe in revenge necessarily, but it, it is kind of the funniest comment, right? The the 
best revenge is becoming a success. Yes. So it can't be a focus on what the negative is. It has to be a focus on how to take this to the next step, how to take yourself and, be, and make something out of what has happened. It doesn't define you, the divorce. It doesn't define you losing the business or gaining the business. What it does is what you do next. Right. Is what's going to define you. And I think that's been very helpful. The scenarios that gave you the two doctors that were mm-hmm. getting the divorce, the two lawyers that ended up divorced. Um, I don't know if the husband's doing all that well anymore, but the wife is doing great. And she has already uh, obtained a job and she, well, you know, started her career up again is yeah. what she did. Uh, the children are older. Um, everything is going pretty well for her. It, it sure did hurt at first, but oh, she's, yeah. uh, she's doing much, much better. Well, I mean, just in my business alone, when the divorce occurred, right, I told you we had to go out and tell, and this was before we were in divorce, I had to go out and tell my clients that, that my ex-husband was leaving the company and that this was about to happen. And in the process, I lost about a third of my clientele Now, why would, shot. Why would that have impacted, because you're still you. I'm still me, but I didn't work on those particular projects. He was the primary on those projects. And I kept a couple of the, well, I kept some of the ones that he had, he was primary on, but a lot of them were like, no, I just want to deal with him or I just don't want to deal with a male. So it, and that is a way that it does happen. So the, it, I had to build back up from there. But the fun part is, is that ability to take it to that next step. And now I, in my case, it, my ex-husband was very conservative when it came to how we were to mark and how we were to grow. I'm a lot more aggressive. You're more of a risk taker. I am much more of a risk taker when it comes to business. And it made it a lot more fun for me. So the growth that I saw from the time he left to the time to right now, I saw over 400% growth. I was going to say, but last I saw, I believe it was 416%. Yeah, it was. I was very impressed. <laughs> and, and, I, and let me look at my paralegal and say, and what's going on with us? So we may want to take, take some lessons with Jennifer. And I mean, we just got named. But it's your attitude. I mean, and that's the whole thing that Dr. Lowe was saying. You don't have that beat down attitude. I've got to get revenge. You were right back at it. There was no reason to have that attitude because the reality is that my ex-husband, when he was in the business, he supported the business. He he represented the company well. I can't say he didn't. He helped it become what it was. I took it to that different level when I took over. And there were a lot of things that I saw that I, I wouldn't do again what with what we did, but I'm not going to turn around and say, I got to have revenge because he walked out on me. It, it is what it is. He doesn't want to be married to me. That's fine. That's the life. I can't do anything about it at this point. It's not my choice. But at the same token, it is, I still have this business. I have responsibility to my employees. I have responsibility to my clients exactly. and to my partners and my vendors. And that's my focus. And that is so much of what I hear from the, the vendors, but in from the, um, the expert witnesses that you see the paperwork I've been looking at here that I've had in, in these cases, exactly what Dr. Lowe was saying, get a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, you are more of a risk taker. Uh, sometimes it, she said it helps her clients create new beliefs around new beginnings. And you, you had to have an ending there for you to have a new beginning there. Yeah, but it's, it, you know, it depends on on what happens next as far as, you know, how you want to determine what you do. But just keep in mind that every person out there, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, when you get into business, it's business, right? You need to put an operating agreement. You need to have employment agreements set up. You need to have a succession plan set up. You need to look 
realistically at your business and at your your partnership, because this is not about your marriage per se. Because yes, it, your marriage is involved in this, but it is about your business, which has to be considered and run as a separate entity of you. And going back to what you said, don't lose track of the marriage, though. No. Remember why you were together to start with and don't put that marriage on the back burner for the sake of the business. And you can't put the business on the back burner for the sake of the marriage. It's a, it's a, it's it's a narrow <laughs> walkway. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, I saw a stat um, just before I came in here saying that the normal rate for entrepreneurs getting divorced is five times that of a traditional marriage of all, two separate W-2 employees. All the more reason to be prepared. Yeah. Wow. A lot of great information. Uh, Margaret, for those that would like to maybe reach out to you to get some more advice or look into your services, would you like to give some contact information or a website for your firm? Uh, we are at uh, Margaret Gettle Washburn PC. Uh, that is uh, where we can be reached. It's uh, washburnlawoffices.com. Our Telephone number in Lawrenceville is 770-963-1105. And we are at 4799 Sugarloaf Parkway, Building J in Lawrenceville. Very easy to get to. We also have the benefit of having Alejandra with us so that we can help uh, anybody in our, in our Hispanic community. And you talk about entrepreneurs in Gwinnett County. There you go. So we're always anxious to, to reach out and help. Margaret, thank you very much. And also thank you very much, Jennifer. This has been Strategic Insights Radio on Business Radio X. To find out more about Sterling Rose Consulting Corp., you can contact them at 678-996-1312 or visit sterlingroseconsultingcorp.com.